up, everybody? Dr. Joe Camerata here. Now, before we get into the podcast, I had a simple request, and that is if you like our podcast, go ahead and give us a rating of five stars. It will only take you one second and will really help you spread the strong word that we are talking about here every week on the Cross Continuum podcast. I know you'll enjoy the podcast, so let's get into it, and thank you very much. What is up, everybody? We are here with the Across Continuum podcast. Uh, we just got back from holiday vacation. I was in Alabama for nine days, just rolling that tide. And I'm here with a return guest, Dr. Jake Templar. Uh, he wanted to come on and talk all about movement optimism and ergonomics, and I am here for it. Uh, you might remember previously he was on talking about volume for us, and I, don't, I think that might have been the last time you were on, and maybe the first time as well. But we're going to talk about movement optimism, and I'm really pumped because this is one of the soapboxes that I stand on on a regular basis. So, Jake, why don't you introduce yourself, and thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, yeah, that was, I believe, like October or November 2022, because uh, that was like my son was just born. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm up here in Rochester, New York, at Rochester Regional Health, which is a big hospital system. Uh, we are probably I don't know if we're the biggest in New York, but we're like the it's like the sixth largest employer in the state. Um, and as much as people crap on that, like there's actually a lot of good things about working for a big system um, that I don't think people uh, recognize or realize can happen. Uh, like what? But it is unique. Um, so like I have phenomenal benefits. Um, low like we never get productivity like mentioned to us um i get one-to-one slots for at least half an hour um if not an hour depending on the person so and i'll have somebody talking to me about productivity and marketing every single week a godsend yeah so So yeah you're at rochester regional yeah and I'm in their big, biggest outpatient uh, office, which like our whole office is like 18,000 square feet. Um, we have squat rack, cable machines, uh, see some work hardening stuff, sled, uh, a bunch of cardio stuff, TRX straps all over. Um, could be better, but it could be a lot worse. That sounds way better than what a lot of people have. Yeah, so... Yeah, I brought in adjustable dumbbells, so like I have weights that go over thirty pounds. Nice. I mean, I I can't even. I I worked in a clinic once in the middle of nowhere, Louisiana, and we had like a ten pound dumbbell, and that was it, and like a step, and I had to make it work. Yeah. And uh, weirdly, the smallest treadmill I've ever seen was like a dog treadmill. It was weird. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I do for my nine to five. Then I'm on Instagram that people are probably aware of. Um, I actually do work contrary to what some people think. Um, I also do fitness and rehab coaching through ATP performance, uh, where I'm also the chief science officer. So I just keep everybody up to date. Um, whenever I see anything crazy that comes out or that they should know about, um, or if our coaches have questions, um, trying to think what else i'm doing my fellowship right now through uh hrf which is a human rehabilitation framework which is run like their teaching companies dynamic uh principles and that's with like cam Fowler and uh, leonard van de gelder um and that's been really cool uh learning a lot there um already done like 45 out of the 150 hours um so a lot of you'll see a lot of that stuff uh, in themed my posts recently it's yeah it's been very good actually now, i'd say now you you talk about being chief science officer what is mm-hmm. uh, you know historically you've been an absolute workhorse when it comes to producing content it, you know i've had you write research reviews in the past and you finished in like a few hours which it usually takes me like four weeks or so to write one um what is your what's your like self education schedule look like? Because this is one of the things that we teach in the mentorship is the self education mm-hmm. schedule. And and as I'm trying to get back onto reading a paper a day, which is you know something that you poke fun at me for not doing before, I'm trying to get better. So what's your <laughs> what's your what do you do? Like what? How do those roll across your desk? How do you end up reading them? Is there a highlighting section that happens? Yeah, so um, I'm not great for the environment because I like to print things and have hard copies. Um, and then I go through and highlight them. 
Uh, but a lot of times what I started doing now is I have folders on my bookmarks. And then so like if you were on my like web browser on my work computer, it's just like all bookmarks of like a topic. And then like I put papers in there. Uh, so then when I need to go back and find them or talk about them, um, it allows me to not have to take up as much space in my brain. And then I usually snowball off that. Or if there's like a something I see and I'm curious about, then I go on like PubMed or Google it and like Google whatever with PubMed so that actual science comes up um, and go through that. And then I'll read stuff and it, and it's, it goes in waves. Cause like I have times where I'm reading like tons of papers every day. And usually I do that before I go in, uh, I go into work early, do some of my accessory work uh, with some machines and then uh, read and stuff. So I don't have to do that at home with the kids. <clears throat> um, so I'm either doing that or I got a bunch of books right now that I'm behind on. I have like five books that I got to get through or, or eventually would like to get through. Um, courses, like they'll say something in there when I'm taking like in the fellowship, they'll say stuff or you'll see, I'll see Cam uh, post about it on one of their pages. And I'll be like, that's really interesting. Like this one little point. And then you have to, you know, go through the iceberg of like, all the background information. Um, so that's how I keep myself up to date. And then just by, I, I think I made a post about this cause we talked about it is like, just seeing what's like hot. Like the only reason I still have Twitter is so that when certain researchers post stuff that I kind of like see what people are talking about. Like right off the bat. Yeah. Just to see like what, what's going on because i already follow enough good like strength and conditioning people that i get that end of it but then like well what is like the non uh strength biased uh like non-gym bro pts physios posting about who cares about that stuff <laughs> yeah it's just to have a good idea of like a around the field what's like being talked about sure yeah um is not there... all of it's great now we're going to be talking about movement optimism. Is there anything new that's come out on any of that stuff? Um, nothing really new, like just old stuff that I think has been not dredged up as much that I've come across lately. And like, um, stuff that I think people for like, we kind of forget and take for granted. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> the only other new thing is like, you don't have to do uh, seated calf raises anymore. I did see that one. <laughs> um, so. Well, well, the kind of topic of today is is movement optimism and how we cling to the idea of perfect movements or technique and even ergonomics. And and I think the best place to kick off here, at least in my opinion, because everything that we're going to talk about kind of depends on how you view this one topic, is like what are we basing the rules of movement off of? And is movement in itself like an arbitrary thing? Yeah, I mean, it really is. Like we <clears throat> kind of as people to, to just be able to make sense of stuff, we tend to make models. And what's that saying? Like uh, Derek says it all the time. It's, it's like some model, no model is perfect, but some are useful. Um, because uh, human movement is extremely chaotic. Like, uh, t like I posted about this this last week, um, how you can take like uh, signatures of like muscle activity when somebody's walking or like um, cycling, and if you put it into like uh, and use machine learning or like a computer to try and pull out patterns, it can t it can show you individual persons signatures rather than like um, it doesn't all blend together because it's so different person to person. It's so, uh it. I mean, that definitely checks with some of the the stuff that I've read on like movement variability, even on elite levels, right? Yeah. And it kind of makes sense that it would vary based on the context, right? If we're mm -hmm. kind of subscribing to the idea that movement is context dependent or they're, you know, task oriented yeah. patterns or, or whatever, when we're trying to accomplish something, it would kind of make sense that as the context changes, the context, including the person who is in that scenario, it wouldn't make total sense that we, as you know, this kind of 
again, goal-oriented organism, we're going to change the the structures mm-hmm. that that we're using or the patterns that we're using to accomplish that task. But I I just can't, I can't, it wasn't until a few years ago that I was like, oh, I mean, all all these exercises that that we're saying are like the gold standard or it has to be a squat bench or a deadlift or something like that. It wasn't until I realized that if the barbell was like S shaped, then it would all look totally different. And all of this is just kind of based around how equipment ended up developing, you know? Yeah, it it is like, it's probably just ease, ease of like manufacturing and, and things like that. And it was just like, like, cause before they used to use like the big ball things and like everything was like a giant cast. And I think they found like, oh, it's much more transportable and like easy to like move around and, and different things like that. If, you know, like you don't have a hundred pound, uh, just solid dumbbell that you can't take apart at all. Yeah. And I, and me coming from like a starting strength, like Mark Repito background, it was always the squat bench deadlift was the thing that the Lord put on this earth for people to lift up and down, you know, it just, it, yeah. it, it was, it was like, oh, I mean, that's just what <laughs> needs to happen. And there's still like a hint of that in, in what I do now, like they're good, linearly progressible movements that everybody can really learn. But again, as, as you, as you really kind of just confront the idea that, yeah, I mean, you could just move however, and it just opens everything up. And it's the same kind of opening that happens when you're like, oh, I don't need to do any special tests either. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The only reason I do special tests still is just for like, uh, CYOA, like, uh, documentation. Sure. Just cause yeah. like some payers and stuff like expect you to have it in there. And so, so as we move into like the conversation of movement optimism, what is movement optimism and why does this idea that arbitrary is kind of where things are coming from important when it comes to movement optimism? Yeah. So like, I mean, it's just because like we are trying to uh, understand that our body has like the benefit of the doubt, like you can and should move in in lots of different ways and have variability and not be afraid of that variability um, is is mainly where that comes about. Like just because like there's just so many times where like you'll see and it's ingrained in culture is like oh, if you keep lifting like that, you're going to hurt your back. Or like, if you do this, this, or this, bad for your knees or whatever, you know, what have you, like bench pressing is bad for your shoulders or doing this or that, um, those kind of things. So it's like countering that fragile mindset that um, we tend to carry and see, um, I think in the masses, but, you know, it's trying to make people understand like, oh yeah, if you move your body around and like, um, progressively load things or scale them, like your body will figure out how to adapt and you're going to do pretty well. Yeah. The, the movement optimism thing. And I, I picked that up from, from Greg Lehman, which I think most people Mm -hmm. probably did. Um, it was again, just such a game changer when it comes to trying to, um, uh, like square the circle of kinesiophobia, right. Where, you know, you go through physical therapy school and they're like, this is the way to do it. And you really have no grounds to question it, especially if your con ed or your, your clinical affiliation doesn't talk about that at all either. Um, but the idea that a movement optimism is a cool one, because it's just like, we're going to, we're going to assume that the human organism is going to be able to adapt to basically whatever it is that's happening. As long as it's, you know, um, as long as it's an appropriate dose for that person, then they're yeah. probably going to be able to adapt to it or they're going to break and and everything's going to kind of go to shit. But uh, if it, if there's like an intelligent program happening, then there's not really anything that can happen. Well, it might be, that might be too wide of a, an umbrella, but you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. <clears throat> All things are, if like the context are the right way, it, I mean, I would say it gives us flexibility to be like, okay, you can't move this way because of X, Y, and Z things. So let's move this other way. And you that may open up a lot more opportunities for people to do things or engage with valued activities. Sure. Yeah, because if, if we go to the opposite of movement optimism, we <laughs> run into what's called the kinesiopathologic model, right? Where mm-hmm. there's a wrong way and a right way to do everything. And if you do it the wrong way, then you're basically screwed. Yeah. 
Yep. And they don't consider like context being important. Like it's just like, nope, if you move this way uh, at any time, like you risk getting hurt. Sure. And we Without, all learn like, those, those movements of like, do the golfers pick up rather than, yeah. you know, bending at your spine or lift with your legs mm-hmm. rather than your back. And, and it's definitely a good <laughs> practice to be like, well, what's the, what's the message that I'm, what's the opposite message that I'm communicating here? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because it's like, you're, you could be setting somebody up to like, um, think that forever, like they have to do things like a certain way and very, be very rigid, which even in like psychology, you see that like flexibility and your ability to adapt your mindset, um, has a lot to do with positive outcomes. Um, as far as like, uh, clinically and just like people, uh, achieving their, their goals or values or working towards their values. Why do you, why do you think physical therapists and really just like people at large are so quick to put rules on movement? Um, I, I mean, I think a lot of it is big, like sociological, like psychological, psychological aspects. And when you look at like evolutionary, uh, science too, like, um, humans have gone through thousands of years of evolution where like the person that is more conservative, um, you know, may have a higher likelihood to pass on their genes. Um, so you, you get like these like anxiety, depression, like different things like that, that like over the, over time, like, yeah, there are outliers all the time. Uh, but you just see like, you know, if, if, you know, me and you are standing here and I go, Hey, I think that might be food over there. And you're like, nah, man, I'm pretty sure that's a bear. And like, I'm like, nah, I think there might be food over there. And then I go get eaten by that bear. Like I can't have kids now and like pass it on and like your mindset. And then you pass it on to, you know, future generations and stuff. So there's a lot of that stuff. And then like, we tend to, um, psychologically, like your brain holds on to negative stuff. So like, you know, Stephen Hayes, who's like one of the, uh, co-founders of like act he talks about and he mentions like you know is it more beneficial for me to always believe like there's a lion out there that's trying to eat me uh when there isn't or to believe that there's no danger when there really is um so that's like how we're hardwired a little bit and there's like you can see that echoed in like how your tissue behaves because like nociception is you know the process means literally noxious stimulus and your body's always sampling the environment around us. So I'm getting into the biological things, but this is like, you know, you can see how hardwired we are to be more conservative. So like literally all the time, all the nociceptors in your body are like continuously like sending signals um, and at different rates. Um, but it's one of those things that it's like always there and your brain just learns how to like filter it out over time and like just take what is maybe useful so we're just like biologically like driven that way. I think, um, I think an interesting point to linger on here is like anchoring where yeah. that kind of first exposure that you have to an idea or a theory is going to prevail over new oh, yeah. challenging mm-hmm. ideas. Right. And, and the, th- the place that I get kind of hung up on as physical therapist here is if this is the first time somebody's, if they have a novel pain or, or something like that and they come in or, mm-hmm. Um, they're looking for some sort of guidance in a time of uncertainty and you as a physical therapist are like, oh no, it's because you're, you're lifting wrong, you dummy. This is the yep. way to do it. It's really hard to break that anchor, right? Where yeah. you could present them with challenging information or you mm-hmm. could present them with questions that are open-ended that would make them question that. Um, but there's mm-hmm. still that kind of, I'm just going to fall back on this idea because it was the first one that, that kind of solved that problem that I was having. And I, I put solve in, in, you know, quotation marks here. Um, but it really, I mean, it is, it seems like it comes from, at least on the physical therapist side from that trying to be Batman instead of Alfred or trying to be that fixer. Um, and to me, that's kind of why physical therapists and, and again, just like medical practitioners at large are so quick to, to be rigid or to give answers when there might not be a clear answer because it's so much easier. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we see it with direct to consumer marketing and like, um, everything like that. Like if you can't give somebody more like 
that marketing speak with like clear, definitive, um, you know, finite answers. Yeah. Um, Then we, uh, you know, tend to not like fall towards that. Like we're less convinced. Um, So we want that to be like, oh, this is the reason why. And, you know, that's the only reason because it's just much more simple. Everything is so chaotic, like getting back to movement variability, like movement variability, like um, how our brains are wired, like what's going on inside of us, like everything that's happening in the world. Like we we make up a lot of things to make that less chaotic, have more clear cut answers. Um, You know, it's just more comfortable. Sure. And then we run into the constant, constant, constant problem of how do we communicate, you know, advanced science to yeah. people who are interested in it um, and who yeah. would benefit from being interested in it, but don't care. And we have no way of motivating people and things that they're not interested in. And how do we, and I'm certainly not asking you to answer this yeah. question, but like, how do mm-hmm. we basically make that happen? You know, and that, that comes from making very clear cut, definitive recommendations. Like instead of being like, Oh, did you know that there's actually five e's that play into pain maybe and they're like no just tell them that they need to straighten their back out a little bit and let's call it a day <laughs> yeah and that and then um like uh there's a lot of that in the like worldviews like stephen peppers talked about philosophically like you know you have the idea of like there's formism organicism mechanism and then contextualism um this is all new to me it's like yeah so this is um he came up with these he had six originally and like formism is like um essentially something has like a former function like uh there's a root metaphor to it and then that like you would um i think it's like you would essentially would be clustering those things into like groups um like how we like want you know subgrouping is coming on um there's organicism uh which is like yeah, let me pull these up because I have the definitions and it'll be more helpful, I think, for people to, for me to like say those specifically. Obviously, like, okay, so formism, um, things that are alike should be grouped together because they are, are alike. Um, so like you would think of as like somebody could group something together based on their shape, their color, like fruits, animals, like taxonomy essentially falls into this. Um, like Plato and Aristotle were technically like formists um mechanism which is like the most popular one and that we see uh you know we you know i would say like da vinci was probably like most known for that like descartes um if we're thinking of like philosophers that you want to like look at their stuff and like see some of the things they said like it would fall under this so you look at things like it's a machine we have individual parts that could be worn out be replaced repaired they're broken or dysfunctional they can, you know, they need to be fixed, um, which like old school, like uh, psychology was kind of like this too. Like they believe like you had thoughts, ideas, behaviors that were like dysfunctional. And that's why like you, you were doing things or like, if you want to go way back, they were like eugenics. So um, organicism is like there's uh, organisms are organized and self-regulating and actively functional systems. And there's like a balance between like, you acting on the environment, but then also the environment acting on you, which like the five E's that actually falls under like organicism. And then contextualism is that nothing should be really considered in like um, isolation necessarily. Um, Not to say that you can't ever do that because it can be useful, uh, but that the context generally is like important to like how things developed, how we got here, you know, um what's what else is going on um there's like a selection of events or contexts um and interpretations that lead to this and like people have like meaningful histories typically got it all right something to look into i mean uh, a few of those definitely i could see happening here and and things that i've thought about in the past um but i'll definitely have to look further into that I tend um, to be like a, a contextualist. So, uh, yeah, I mean, for sure. It, it's, 
all we have is context. You know, all we have is yeah. the specifics of the situation. And that that kind of rings true when you're talking about making modifications to people who are training. I mean, you and I as as remote coaches, there's almost never a context in which we need to take somebody out of lifting, right? There's so yeah. many, so many variables that we can change, whether it's the speed, the range of motion, the hand grip, the feet grip, the equipment at hand, the weight on the bar. You know, there's just so many ways that we can take steps down from that goal context that it just is like, if somebody just doesn't, the only time that I'll like really just change something is like, I'm don't enjoy this. And it's like, all right, well, yeah. who cares then? Let's just not do it then. <laughs> yeah. They're like, I hate this. Uh, I, like everything sucks. Like I had a guy, <clears throat> a client um, that he was just not enjoying like more SPD focus. So I was like, all right, well, like if you feel like you're really not enjoying your training and it's like putting you to a bad, bad place, like mentally, like there's so many more things. So like, what are you open to? Like, what do you want? And we just shifted a little bit more like bodybuilding type focus. And he's like, oh yeah, I've been like really enjoying that a lot more. Yeah. And this, this goes back to a question I was going to ask, because if we're, if we're going to sit here, Jake, and we're going to say, well, you can do whatever you want, right? There, in my opinion, there is a few standard deviations away where yep. things get a little wonky. They get a little, start <laughs> wigging a little out, weird, right? We start, you know, making f- weird fists with our hands and talking about potentiating. Yeah. And it, at what point does it count as training? And what point are we just trying to look cool on Instagram? Yeah. I think like when it stops uh, being related to like what you're, end goal is and it's just like has no carryover or like benefit to like what you're actually like meaning to to improve which it can be for the lay person hard to decipher um but like if that's where like the bradford hill criteria that you put on the outline like comes in is like you know like if we take away this cause do we still see the effect that we want and like um, what's the strength of this relationship and you know, all these other variables that come in and like, okay, is that actually moving me towards what I want? Or is it just like, I'm just arbitrarily moving and like doing like corrective exercise when like, you know, I could do like a hundred pound row fine, but like my PT's got me doing prone rows with like a two pound dumbbell. Sure. Yeah. And, and again, the, if you don't have a goal and you just want to train cause it's fun or cause you want to get healthy, yeah. that's all fine and well. Like, I mean, that's what I'm doing yeah. right now. There's a few things in, in the CrossFit world that I want to get better at in the weightlifting world, but there's no like specific goal. Um, and for me, I kind of fall back to answer this question onto like the physical activity guidelines is easy enough, yeah. right? Are you lifting weights? You know, are you against external resistance two or more days a week? If, if so, yeah. that's great. If not, then maybe we need to reevaluate what's going on. But I mean, it really, this kind of comes back into the corrective exercise sphere where we might not, this might be a few standard deviations of from away from what we would call like lifting weights because we're trying to control a situation so much that the weight is so light that we're just not doing anything productive. And that falls into that movement jail sort of thing and and away from yeah. the movement optimism or we start to look into kinesiophobia where we're just afraid something's going to happen either from the 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 patient or the practitioner standpoint and so that's when i just be i'm like all right well i mean it's kind of, it's kind of like does this does this really count and i yeah some of the stuff that we see online just doesn't count <laughs> yeah yeah some of the stuff that we've uh sent each other in uh that's right in group chats and in privately it was, it was definitely not stuff that i would uh consider to be yeah like you said like if we can't do anything like if we can't figure out anything it should at least be like within the the guidelines of like the the like world health or acsm guidelines which are the same yeah um and then like is it scalable too like um like calisthenics are great too which i'm not gonna like sit here and shit on calisthenics but like um eventually you will have to figure out a way to either you got to do more reps so you got to spend more time on it and like is that i wouldn't say like i would never do that with somebody but it's like are they will do they have the ability to invest the time that it may take um to get a sufficient stimulus 
um, with that as they get much better at it. Now, I do feel like there's always a conversation Mm -hmm. within this conversation when it comes to perfect movements and technique Mm -hmm. where we're like, all right, well, obviously there's more efficient ways to move. Yeah. Where, where does that come into play when it comes to things like, you know, perfect technique? Are there better ways to accomplish tasks? Yeah. I mean, I think when you look at it that way, it's just like, well, what's most beneficial for that person to get like the most, like if it was powerlifting or, or like strongman, it's like, what's the way that's going to allow them to be able to lift the most or like do it for the longest amount of time? Like CrossFit does that too, right? Like you may have like a standard weight and then you have to do so many reps with it or, you know, whatever the challenge is. It'd be like, and then after that, it's like, I mean, once you've established just like what it is you're trying to achieve, right? Like it's like, um, well, there's football games on in like an hour. Um, so, cause it's new year's day. Um, you know, it's like, you have to know what football is before you can actually like play it. You just have to vaguely know. And then after that, you know, look, look at the innovation that's happened in the last hundred years. Like if you went back, uh, you know, to like the 19, even the eighties, like people were still ring, were running like single wing T uh, without much forward pass. So like Oklahoma was running that. That goes way over my head. I don't pay attention to football at all. Yeah. <laughs> but I so, believe you. <laughs> the idea is that um, even like 40 years ago, there were still a lot of teams that were still just running, like just run the ball, like run the ball, play good defense. That's it. And now we're seeing like passing games open up and like all these crazy things with like, as much as it hurts me because I'm a Patriots fan, um, that Bill Belichick is like past his expiration date for them as a coach. Um, he's still very innovative on like their defenses and he like comes up with concepts that still like put throw people for loops. Um, but you're seeing a lot of innovation uh, in football on like offense as far as like what they're doing with spacing and timing and, and different things like that to open things up. So it's like, once you know, like, what are the rules? Like you can do so many things. Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, the rules are funny because if there's no rules, again, it's the same, it's the same conversation that we open with, right? If there's rules that come down from a governing body, obviously we're going to have to hit those. That's what counts based on whoever is, you know, sitting in the chair in front of us is going to say, but then once we start to filter out of the, the rules, it kind of is anything goes, I don't know. Have you ever seen a Kelly snatch before? No. All right. So I was talking to one of the guys that goes to my gym about this. And he was like, I don't see the benefit. Like the risk is greater than the reward there. And basically if you, if you close your eyes, you picture a guy who's going to be doing a snatch, but the bar is instead of in front of him behind him. And he basically bends forward and catches it in like full humeral extension, but still balanced over Uh his shoulders and his midfoot. Right. So the bar is Mm -hmm. like all the way I'm bending over here all the way behind him. And he's like, well, what's the point of that? And I was like, well, what's the point of anything, right? It's just another yeah. way to do it. And who knows? We, I don't know if the risk reward ratio, like what that is, but if this guy could do with 90 kilos, then he can do it with 90 kilos and it's not a problem. Like I can't even barely snatch that much, you know? Yeah. We see a lot of cool stuff. And, um, cause one of the group chats I'm in is like, um, uh, it's like hot movement optimism summer. Cause we did like the meme competition. So, like, some of the guys in there, they also post, like, memes uh, related. And then there's, like, Alec Blennis is one of the guys in there. And great, um, great he poster. is freaking phenomenal. Like, he's a world, well, he's a world-class athlete because he has the world record or did for the Murph, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he's, like, a really good hybrid athlete. But he just has some crazy, like, his what he can do with, like, sissy squats and side bends and stuff like that. I'm like, I could do that, but like, it, it just doesn't align with like my values of like what I'm trying to achieve in my training right now. But I'm like, all right, it gives me some ideas. And I've definitely programmed some of that stuff actually with a lot of my uh, clients or at least progressively like work them towards some of that stuff. Yeah. As much, as much yeah. negative that I see in social media, there's just a couple great examples of like movement optimism and just this mm-hmm. absolute disregard for whatever lifting used to be and there's a couple yeah. accounts that come to mind i mean there's one guy who is always deadlifting on a skateboard or with oh yeah yep um, dude i mean mike something 
Mike something. I was just trying to look him up. He's either deadlifting on a or he's squatting while doing a kick flip, or he's got like weights attached to bands attached to his head while he's doing like yeah. And it's just hilarious. There's Coach Taran too, or Taran. I'm saying it wrong. There was another guy who like removed the 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 uh his ceiling oh, so yeah. that he could do yep. like super deficit. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but again, like some it, of those. the examples of like what really, if you push, I, I don't even know if it's pushing the extremes of what we know as movement right now. And, and these guys are all fine, I, I guess, as, as you and I might categorize them, but it's, it, it really is like a, a testament to the idea that some people just need to chill out when it comes to putting rules on movement. Yeah. I wish, like, I wish we could. Uh, what? I've even been pushing it with like the new research that's coming out as far as like long uh, lever like training. Yeah. Um, Cause like where I do my bicep curls and then like my, all my shoulder work, it's like all my shoulder work. Now I do like an extreme, like internal rotation, like across my body. Really? Um, or like positions that should be like impingement positions. And like, I've loaded up to like, I can do an upright row with like, what is it? Um, 80 to 90 pounds just like all the way across my body with a cable yeah well so, don't let the people at t nation see that because they might freak out yeah athlean x is, That's is right. uh, yeah. screaming <laughs> and Jeff is his rolling right his, now. yeah yep um well i i want to get a little bit into ergonomics but i feel like a lot of this what we've already been talking about applies to that so where yeah. i mean Ergonomics is an interesting one because there's always these like pockets of physical therapy that mm-hmm. won't get a lot of sunlight. And so they're yeah. kind of still in the shadows as far as what we know about pain injury training and, and things like that. Uh, and and I've I recently spoke with with um uh so squats about the pelvic pelvic yeah. health space. Like that's one that doesn't uh, get a lot of sunlight that I feel like a lot of the things that they talk about is not really um as congruent with what we know about pain right now and and definitely ergonomics. Mm-hmm. I mean, ergonomics is such a low-hanging fruit for a lot of people. They're like, oh, just yeah. make sure their computer's, you know, eye level and that they're standing up in the 20-20-20 rule and and they can charge, you know, whatever units for that. But but where does all of this come into play when it comes to workplace ergonomics? Yeah. So a lot of that again comes up through like it's funny because like the things that we talked about in my fellowship is like um a lot of these things is like coming up with the rules and like we we tend to come up with automated behaviors and and movements and rules like um you know it's good like to have them but sometimes we need to break them uh to actually move forward like you know if you were to go to get up out of bed you don't want to have to think about every single thing that you do all the time um but ergonomics is just a lot more rigid and um I think a lot of the principles come from is that like you would tend to see is that when people are in pain, the positions that most people end up adopting is the ones that we think are then end up needing to be the best positions because, Oh, that felt the most comfortable when people are in pain or um, I think a lot of it actually stems way back from like the um, Prussian like army and like Victorian era beauty standards and stuff. Yeah. It was like, you can go way, way back to where they found that like stuff had to do with like certain positions and postures. They were like, Oh, well this is like more masculine or, you know, appears to give off a more aesthetically pleasing uh, appeal and like different things like that. And, and part of it is classist and other things because like way back in the day, especially in the Victorian era, when like you started to actually have like a middle class, um, they wanted to have other ways also distinguish like who was actually rich, rich and you know, who is old, rich, who is new, rich and, and like distinguish that better. So like, that's actually where some of the accents come from. Even we're going to, I'm going to have to see how I can set up my workspace so I can look hot to Victorian era people. So like, that's where like some of the way old stuff comes from. And then like, after that, we just probably looked at like loose pack positions and then positions people maybe said they felt the most comfortable in. And then at some point someone just was like, oh, this is just the way we're going to do it. Um, 
you know, without maybe having great um, research to back that and things like that. And then um, we get then we get in the claim that sitting is the new smoking, right? Yeah. Which what is that Kelly Starrett? Yeah, but there was like a New York Times or like Washington Post or like some big news outlet did something. Spoiler alert. Sitting way yeah. healthier than smoking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god! If like was in uh, the the artificial sweeteners thing got like a whole lot of attention like over the summer, and like one of the there's only like a few things that we know like are in the top tier of like yes, this definitely causes you cancer, and smoking is one of them. Right, sitting was not on that list. No, not even close. <laughs> but yeah. So, like, that's where a lot of that stuff uh, probably comes from at one point, right? Like, um, it's, like, always sunny in Philadelphia. Like, there's the there's a skit where they're sitting there and they're like, oh, they're new poor. We're old poor. Sure. Yeah, it's, you know, the I remember doing ergonomic assessments for the Air Force when I worked uh, back in California. And it was just a checklist. Yeah. And it's like, where did this checklist come from? And they're like, don't worry about other stuff. Don't worry about that. Um, yeah. And you would go and, you know, the the people could order an ergonomic assessment or if they were a physical therapy patient, they could be like, I want an ergonomic assessment. It's like, all right, great. Um, you should probably have your computer higher and try and stand up every 20 minutes, whatever. And and here I am, I, I have the standing desk that I'm standing at that right now. Mm-hmm. And most of the time I feel more comfortable sitting because my heels don't hurt as much from standing all day because I, I never wear shoes or socks or anything. And, you know, yeah. I don't think anybody would really push toward that, but it, it's the same thing. It took some tolerating and ter- took some training, you know, training again in air quotes of me just standing for prolonged periods of time before I could tolerate it. Um, yeah. and it's, it's, yeah, it's the same sort of stuff. And the, the workplace ergonomics one, I mean, it's just, there's so much nocebo, just like every other, like, yeah, movement gonna- category. I had to take like a patient safe handling thing when I like started at my job and like, don't forget to draw in. Like, yeah. There's like slides in there about like, if you lift more than like 35 pounds, like what it'll do to your back and show like images of like a disc sequestration and, oh and stuff God. like that. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God, I just about had a stroke. I was like, if I have a stroke, is this considered like workers comp? Right. Like I'm remember- at work right now. I mean, do you remember learning the drawing in maneuver before like yeah, moving plinths like, in physical therapy school? You're like, make sure you're drawing it. Make sure that, that TA part is of like our, yeah. Yep. Grabbing your spine. So it stays in place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then like, that's part of those like rigid rules again, like that we come up with like arbitrarily and like sometimes they help us and other times they're not as adaptive and, and honestly, like I've been teaching patients a lot more about like variability and like teaching them like that self-awareness because like we're always trying to like avoid pain and like um, do stuff to alleviate pain. But we never actually like learn to like be able to sit with discomfort and like actually kind of understand it and then like figure out like, oh, if I'm uncomfortable, maybe like sitting super upright doesn't feel that great for me. And you know, if I were better able to pay attention to the muscles in different parts of my body, like I might actually pay more attention to those, uh, you know, nociception signals that are I'm filtering out because I'm paying too much attention to my work. Um, and I won't feel as uncomfortable and I can move around like, oh, oh, I can stand here or I could sit here or I could shift around a little bit this way or that way and not have to like, you know, do crazy things. Um you know, completely revamp my entire workplace. Um, so I never do X, Y, or Z. Yeah. You know, it, sometimes I get slouch. Dude, I love slouching. I mean, what is the saying? The best movement's the next movement, right? So yeah. the best posture is the next posture or whatever. Yeah. I used to, I used to, as a physical therapist, like give the prescription of maybe you should just like fidget more. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's essentially what I'm teaching people how to do again. And then like also, clue into those like signals that you would normally get when you you know you get ischemic signals from your skin or your muscles and so instead of now you having cramping or a numb feeling because you didn't move at all you start to feel that signal and you go oh i can just like move like that little like groundbreaking a couple inches yeah Yeah. 
I remember when I uh, first started working at a hospital, uh, I was doing some PRN stuff, the, the briefing, like the, the new nurse or the new worker briefing, yeah. the physical therapist, bless her. She came in and gave this talk about low back pain and, and she was talking at all the nurses and she was like, mm-hmm. you guys got to make sure you're bending right. And I just, I remember like my eyes like rolling across the room being like, damn, they, they almost made it out of here without any sort of awful information that could possibly alter the, you know, continuations of yeah. their comfortable lives. And, and now that they know <laughs> that their job has this hazard of having, you know, low back pain influenced on them, it's like, oh, you're just. I would love to do at my work if they would let me as a research study, just literally only change that section in the safe handling and and like where they keep either the same stuff about that bending properly and then the other one about like maybe some kind of more movement optimist um like saying or like saying like telling them maybe oh yeah you should probably you know be a little bit more active outside of work because that'll help you feel better with working or whatever more prepared for the stuff you just something different and then compare with those groups like what are the number of workers comp cases for like low back pain right were you ever were you ever the physical therapist that would like tell people to sit up straight and pull their shoulders yeah back? i used to what a what a nightmare i know right what a jerk i was that guy too i think we all are you know you analyzing people's gates as they're walking tell them to sit up straight and things like that yeah now um, I tell people more to like poke into things that like might bother them and be like, <laughs> pay more attention to it. And like, you know, not always seek to like alleviate pain. Cause I'm like, well, if you just are always avoiding, 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 eventually where does that get you? Right. You just locked in movement jail forever. Yeah. Um, well, I think that this covers it pretty great. If I'm being honest, I mean, you should, you should move more. You should embrace movement you should question the yeah. rules of movement uh anything else should, that you want to yeah there were a couple so like i remember like on some of the stuff that i sent you just like some of the studies were like actually like some people uh for example there were like in some subgroups less injuries in the ones that sat more at work and then uh there were some subgroups where they found there was like no correlation with like lifting at work and like the degree of flexion that they were lifting in but it just depends on the subgroup because everything's kind of context dependent and that uh, like their workplace social uh, support actually mediated uh, back pain intensity the most. Yeah. It's, you know, whenever we're talking about pain, I feel like it always comes back to the same conversation of this multifactorial, like there's so Mm -hmm. many things that we can't possibly even know half of them that influence what's going on. It couldn't possibly be so simple that it's the single singular thing, this reductionist thing. And like when, no matter what we're talking about, especially with low back pain, it's always so confusing and so yeah crazy. Yeah. And that's where like, I think um, the, one of the things that I learned from like psych and like the meta model that I've been learning was like how to draw like a network together and it's like comes from uh, Matt Lowe. Like, if you want to learn about dispositionalism, he has a couple papers that kind of like start to get into like branching you to where you want to. And it like kind of teaches you how to take those factors and put them all together and then like look at them with a patient, and be like, hey, look at all these things. And then you can, with them, like start to look at things where like, oh, you see how like these couple things like show up in multiple spots or like whatever. Do we think like, this could be related to why you're not feeling the greatest right now. Like in a lot of times they'll notice like, it's like I've had people be like, Oh, I'm, I like sleep like shit. Like, or I just had a kid, like, you know, one of my patients, we were going through stuff and it was like, Oh yeah, I just had a kid like two months ago. And that's like when my back pain started, and I was like, well, how are you sleeping? And they're like, I sleep like shit. And I'm like, could it be maybe more related to that? Like recovery right. and stuff. And a lot of other factors are thrown off too. <clears throat> Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, I remember used to asking people if they were stressed or not, but I feel like it's not even a good question to ask anymore because everybody's like, I'm not stressed at all. It's like, okay. Honestly, like the more that I've gotten into like the actual like biopsychosocial 
um, aspects of like being trying to be more biopsychosocial, like in a conversation with somebody, it's it can be very hard unless they really trust you and you're very blunt and know like what specific questions to ask. Yeah. And it, it really does take a lot more like having them fill out paperwork to get that conversation started and then be like, hey, I noticed on this because a lot of times they just won't tell you. And then if it's a, if it's clued on something though, and they like, and, and you'd be like, Hey, like I noticed you answered this question this way. Tell me more about that. Yeah. It's, it always comes back to building rapport, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's one of the big, biggest things, right? Well, why we can get on and just have like an hour podcast. And, uh... yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think that covers all my questions. Uh, where can folks find you if they want to see more of these amazing Instagram posts that you make? But the best place is on Instagram at strength and evidence underscore physio. And then I'm also on threads where I post less of like my uh, stuff with references and more just like if I have a random thought, that's where I'll post it. All right. So. Yeah, I mean your your posts on Instagram are fantastic. So definitely I'll link that in the description and, and everybody should go and follow you for sure. Appreciate that. Hopefully I'll have like a huge uptick in followers now. Yes. All, bump. all five people that uh listen to this, they'll go and follow you, my mom included. <laughs> <laughs> and then oh, I was man, like, <laughs> Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Thanks so for much. having me on. No problem.